Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Brownstein shareholder Diane DeFelice joins Lori Moffat Felberg, senior principal at Dolan Group Architecture, for a discussion on challenges and opportunities in new construction versus the existing build environment following the COVID 19 pandemic. They also cover how innovations such as apps tied to design responses, like new bike lanes, mapping sidewalks, and other changes, can encourage safe use of public spaces for recreation and non-vehicular traffic. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Diane Felice, and I'm a shareholder at Brownstein Hyatt Farber Schreck. And I am joined today again by Lori Moffitt-Fayberg, a Dallin Architects, in this session of our podcast series. And today we are going to discuss cities, planning for the future, density, and how COVID may or may not affect what cities look like in the short and long term. On our last episode, we discussed the various real estate sectors and product types and how the pandemic will affect them. And so in this episode, as the country moves into phase two and stages, and we're facing jurisdictional differences in both states and counties within the states, there's a certain amount of unpredictability that both uh, landlords, tenants, employers, employees, as a society we're facing, and we just are going to discuss consumer confidence and fear while everybody's emerging from shelter in place. And I think one of the things that's affecting us differently this time as we go into reopening into phase two, we're also dealing with resetting the economy and recovery. And there's been talk amongst the experts as to comparisons between the depression and the previous SARS outbreak and what will the new normal look like. Um, And I think one of the economic factors in Lori's expertise in architecture can lend some uh, insight into how this shutdown and reopening which typically uh, economic cycles are longer, you know, 18 months to longer. And we have done it, uh, you know, around the world in two months or less. So, Lori, as we are facing immediate or trying to immediately jumpstart the economy and reopen, what do you see as a prediction of dense cities or Will there be a turn away from dense cities in the near future? Well, thank you, Diane, for having me back on the second in the series of our podcasts. We at at Dolan Group have had a long history of not just architecture, but urban design and and large-scale community planning. And so we've dealt with how does the public realm and, and private sector development really engage with each other? And I think that's a big part of what's going to um, drive the various locations as they come out of this. You know, the the biggest thing we have to remember is whether you're a city or an individual, one size fits all solution doesn't fit. A dense urban environment is going to react very differently to opening up than a more suburban or small town has the opportunity to do so because there's just more room. Particularly we're seeing in a few of the California cities where 
They have streamlined some of what could, in normal circumstances, take a long time to permit. They're opening up streets to and sidewalks to um, private industry, to restaurants and retail, strategically to allow these businesses to open back up in, a, in an environment where social distancing can occur and they can still generate some revenue, which generates, quite frankly, some tax revenue for cities that have become very cash-strapped as well. And so I think as we look at these various solutions, it's going to take streamlining of a lot of normal regulation to just let people do something that's a little bit more organic, but fits the needs of that community to get businesses rolling again. Yeah, it, it does seem that streamlining regulations is what what has been attempted, which creates a little more uncertainty because, you know, the states are doing broad policies and then the counties and then in, uh, are doing a little bit more, you know, belt and suspenders. And then the cities themselves are asked to, you know, come up with management type regulations to create commonality and reassurances for individuals. And I think um, one of the things that we've discussed before is, you know, redesigning uses for the cities and how parking lot conversions and or sidewalk readaptation, as you mentioned, you know, opening up sidewalks to retail and having um, an element of open air and, you know, not having the uh, clustering that is typically in large cities. How have you, have you had conversations with clients recently on either of those two issues and in, in planning for the near and upcoming future? We have not had specific conversations about, you know, the ability to spill business outside with clients yet. We've been more focused on what can happen in new design, new construction to deal with the lasting fear, emotional scars, frustration, whatever you want to call it, from this last you know three-month experience that everyone's gone through. And how do we really generate the opportunity for people to be apart yet inclusive? And in a big city, that really starts to impact parks, jogging trails, um, city sidewalks, mass transit, all those different components where you need to come in from suburban areas to go to work in the larger cities. But how do you do that now? You know, do you, does everybody get back in their car and drive for the next few months? Or can we really come up with some creative solutions so people can get back onto mass transit and get to work for those who choose to go back to work? And that's where that individual choice is going to be very important for employers to create a safe atmosphere for people who want to come back to work, they can come back to work in, a, in an environment that has changed with the social distancing, changes in seating arrangements, things like that, but also allow for that flexibility for those folks who just aren't quite comfortable yet with the circumstance. Right. And it is interesting because there was a New York Times article that discussed how you know office space in New York could be converted, at least one employer 
large user was going to convert its New York offices to like team meeting spaces where workers gather maybe once or twice a week rather than having 7,000 people go to one office building at the same time every day. And I think, uh, you know, the, the part that spills over into the economy is, you know, you had that surge of people all commuting at the same time, which stimulated other businesses in the surrounding office buildings. So it will be, you know, a trickle down effect, at least it seems to be that way, that if it's telecommute heavy and, you know, office building light, some of the urban centers could see a slower recovery than what the neighborhoods are going to experience because people are just going to remain closer to home. Um, I think one of the, the things that I, uh, you know, was looking at, which I thought was just very genius, was the urban planner, Melly Harvey, um, developed a map of New York that shows the width of sidewalks in the city, and she color-coded them. And I, I have, have you ever seen anything like that for public areas where social distancing is now required? Like from a design aspect, I just thought it was fascinating. Not for social distancing, since that's really a new thing. But, you know, from an urban design standpoint, um, public pathways, bike trails, pedestrian highways, if you will, have been have been mapped over and over in our cities so that people can understand the need for various amenities and facilities along their way. But, um, it, you know, using it for social distancing, that, um, you know, pro- providing information to people to say, hey, you know, if you live in a dense urban environment and you want to go outside and go for a walk and you want to feel that you can social distance easily, here's an app on your phone. You can find, you know, the wider sidewalks, the the lesser used bike lanes, additional bike lanes that are being created on a temporary basis, all of those things. I think it would be brilliant to provide that easily for people on their phones. So as they walk out their front door and they look both ways on their sidewalk, maybe there's more people than they want to be around, but they want to go outside and they want to enjoy a little bit of fresh air and some sunshine. What if they had an app that could take them to areas that are a little broader, a little bit more expansive? Um, That type of thing would be interesting. The other thing I've seen, um, filtering down through some of the very forward-thinking larger property owners is the creation of permanent pickup and delivery spots. So the there are permanent parking stalls where you can go and, and grab your takeout. All these little restaurants that fed off of you know these massive office worker numbers still need to survive and they're surviving right now eking it out on takeout and so just by providing these these permanent parking stalls right there where somebody can park they can grab their food they can go is really brilliant and allowing the retailers not just the restaurants to participate in that will help some of those smaller retailers that are also dependent on a local workforce to come to their establishment, they're not in a neighborhood, they're in a, in a downtown, to have access to some of those folks as they go back and forth. There are a number of people still going to offices for various reasons. It's just not the bulk of the workforce. Right. And, and it is, you know, it's, it's some of it, as you mentioned, is going to depend on personal choice and comfort level with what they're actually going back to. 
And I think um, in this context, one of the topics that the CDC guidance uh, has provided is on mass transit and the application of guidelines for health considerations for reopening. And it does address the types of things that are critical that people would value in terms of, you know, having the employees of mass transit, buses, rail, you know, uh, you know, wear and provide masks and hand washing. But I think the more important thing is, is before people are ready to, you know, just step on crowded trains and uh, subways is the disinfection and ventilation procedures and how comfortable, you know, they're going to be, you know, whether the trains can provide, you know, every other row of seating versus, you know, how many exits are available for entrances and exits on and off. And then how you monitor, like what happens if somebody's sick on the train, you know, and and how do you deal with that? I mean, uh, I think there's those considerations. And um, one of the things uh, from an architectural standpoint is, you know, we don't really have the ability (laughs) without redesigning a city on how to, you know, reconfigure road use or public transit. Um, have you seen in the design aspirations or, or planning, like shutting down streets, um, you know, some type of flexible commuting disgust or what in your design world, what types of things have been uh, volleyed around as short term and long term solutions? Well, we are seeing um, individual cities take it, you know, into their own hands and start to strategically close streets. Um, For example, in the Bay Area, um, both Oakland and Berkeley have been looking at areas where there's a significant concentration of restaurants and looking at individual blocks to say, you know, should we just close these streets down temporarily to allow for that additional social distancing space. I think there's a there's a physical side of what you're talking about with mass transit, and then there's the, the human side that is harder to monitor, control, or enforce in that you pose the question, what if someone is not well and they're on a train? Um, it's easier to, you know, have have counting mechanisms, occupancy limits, distancing from seats. But I think part of the lingering anxiety for people going back into that scenario is, I don't know the person, two people away from me, and what if they're not well? And, you know, here we go into, um, we've gone out of predominantly cold and flu season, and now we're headed in, at least on the West Coast, into allergy season. And so, you know, the person standing on a train next to you might be sneezing and coughing because they have terrible hay fever, but what does that do to the anxiety level of others on the train? And so I think there, there's, there's two levels of, of circumstance that we really have to look at, and that is the design and physical aspect of things. And then there's just the pure human interaction. And how does that make people feel? And what can we do in the built environment to acknowledge that there's going to be emotional reactions to things, can our built environment respond to that? And there are circumstances where I think we can, and there may be circumstances where we simply can't. 
And we have to acknowledge that and understand that human behavior is going to be a little different. Social behavior is going to be different here for a while. I think that is an excellent uh, observation that our built environment can respond, but whether consumers have confidence, you know, time will tell, right? And I think, uh, you know, New York experienced it with 9-11 and, and having that event and, you know, significantly changed people's comfort level with, you know, monitoring cameras on the streets and changing free movement, as I would call it. And I think now we're facing a similar, a similar thought on will we embrace more restrictions to protect our health and those of the ones we love in light of, you know, this pandemic and, and most likely, you know, there it's, it's historical fact that we've had to deal with these medical issues in the past and most likely will in the future. So I think our, our version of normal is going to change and, and hopefully the built environment will respond accordingly, you know, and we thrive and adapt. I I think the one thing that I would, I would add to That is, I am hopeful that instead of more restrictions, that we are actually offered more choice. Because if people are given more choice, they will adapt to what makes them comfortable and works for them and their family. Restrictions tend to lean towards, again, a one-size-fits-all solution. And as we started with this, that's not the way to come out of this. So I'm hopeful that each individual circumstance and... and, um, um, individual will be given more choice as to how to move out of this. Yeah, it's, it's another way of saying it since we now are restaurant deprived or just takeout. It's a menu of choices <laughs> rather than <laughs> just a just getting the one, uh, you know, w- the one specific choice or venue in front of you. So with that, thank you, Lori, for providing your insights and valuable expertise. Please join us again for our next episode in this series entitled Insights on Development Following COVID-19. Thanks again, Diane. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.